0: Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative. My name is Lauren LaGrasso, and this show is for you. To help you claim the word creative and make creativity the filter for your life, redefine your relationship with fear, a.k.a. take it out of the driver's seat, put it in the back seat, maybe in the trunk, and step more fully into the essence of who you are. I started this show because I truly believe that repressed creativity is the cause of so much of the world's suffering, So if we can go more boldly toward our passion and our creative pursuits, we can be happier and therefore make the world a better place. Also because it's not just this like fluffy, floaty, fun thing. It's one of the few things that AI can't replicate. And I recently heard a statistic that in the next 50 years, 80% of all jobs are going to require some form of creativity. So it's actually something that we all need in order to stay financially viable in the future. So with that in mind, welcome to the show. I usually give a little creative check-in at the beginning of the show where I go through a lesson I've learned in the past week, how I came to understand it and how you can use it in your life. But today I really want to get right to the guest because we talked for almost two hours, him and I. I cut it down a little bit, but I didn't want to cut it down much more because what he has to say is absolute gold. The guest you're going to hear from today is Jim Quick. He is an international speaker, founder of Superhero U, social entrepreneur, memory and speed reading expert, and hit podcaster with his show Quick Brain with Jim Quick. Some of his brain training clients include innovators such as Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Oprah, Bono, Michelle Obama, Will Smith, and many more. Jim is the ultimate story of turning adversity into purpose. A childhood head injury at age five left him struggling in school to the point where a teacher called him the boy with a broken brain. He had a difficult time through most of his schooling until he was 18 and finally had a breakthrough. That breakthrough was learning how to learn, which is weirdly something that school never teaches you.
1: Honestly, truth is I got angry. I was like, I struggled for my whole life, since I was five years old, every single day working harder than everybody that I, around me and just being sad and feeling not enough. And when I could have done these simple things that weren't taught. So I started to teach other people because I was on a mission.
0: With that knowledge and a desire in his heart to help others, he found both his passion and his purpose and has never looked back since. Now, he speaks and teaches all over the world about ways we can all become better, more efficient learners, how to shatter limiting beliefs and step into your full potential. I wanted to have Jim on the show because his story is wildly inspiring, and he has some amazing, actionable tools on how to use our brain power to increase creativity, lessen fear, and find our own superpowers. From this conversation, you'll learn the importance of asking the right questions, the key to long term memory how to build self-awareness, why you should never look at your phone first thing in the morning, the importance of your dreams, and I mean your literal dreams when you sleep at night, how to think more like Elon Musk and other innovators, and why everyone can and should access creativity. Now here he is, Jim Quick. So what I love so much about you are so many things. But something that I talk about on this podcast a lot is how you can take your pain and turn it into purpose. And I find this to be a through line with so many of the amazing creatives I talk to. And you've certainly done that on the grandest scale possible. When you were growing up, you were called the boy with the broken brain. And rather than letting that destroy you, you turned it into your life's purpose and your life's work. But I'm curious that that little boy who is five years old and, and getting that name put on him. How did that affect you in that moment?
1: So, as context, if people see me on video or as a speaker on stage, I, I'll do these demonstrations. I've been reading a book a day for for years. And they'll get me. I have a hundred people stand up, and I'll have them introduce themselves, and I'll memorize all their names or an audience will give me 100 numbers or 100 words or and I'll memorize them forwards and backwards. But I always tell people I don't do this to impress you. I really do this to express to you what's possible because the truth is we all could do this and a lot more. We just weren't taught. If anything, we were taught this this lie that somehow our potential, our creativity, our our intelligence is somehow fixed, like our shoe size. And I know this because, as you mentioned, I, I had a head injury when I was a child, when I was five years old. It was in kindergarten. I had a very bad fall. I was rushed to the hospital. My parents said I was never the same, like something shifted. What was most clear was my learning. I didn't understand things. Teachers would repeat themselves over and over and over again, and then I would eventually game and just pretend I understood. But it was like imposter syndrome at that age. I didn't really understand. I had very bad focus, a poor memory. It took me an extra three or four years just to learn how to read. And that was very challenging. I can see how frustrating sometimes it could be for a parent or for a teacher. And one of my teachers when I was nine was just really frustrated, pointed to me and said, that's the boy with the broken brain in front of the class. And, Adults have to be very careful of their external words because they become a child's internal words. So that became my self talk. And I didn't realize that till later, but we all have this internal dialogue, right? This critic that squelches our potential, that squelches our creativity, our expression. So every time I didn't do well in school on a test or a book report, which was all the time, I, I would always say, because, oh, it's because I'm broken. I have the broken brain. And that became my identity. And so it was tough because my parents, they immigrated here. And, you know, the typical immigrant story, they didn't speak the language, they had zero money. And so, you know, I always wanted to make my family proud. And I'm the oldest of three, and there's a lot of pressure. And I was just not all through school. It was, I would work really, really hard because that was our my work ethic, but I wouldn't get the results. I talk a lot about superheroes because I learned how to read by reading comic books. Mm-hmm. So I talk about superheroes and superpowers and supervillains. My superpower, just reflecting on it, was being invisible. Like, I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to be heard. I didn't want the spotlight. I didn't want to be called on in class. I remember one time in high school, they pulled my parents in because I was failing English, they told my parents that I get my only chance of passing is they'll give me one last chance and let me do an extra credit book report. And so I did something on Einstein and Da Vinci. And I spent like, I've never worked so hard on something in my whole life. To I this was like, day. yeah, like, wow. it was like every day after school, I would go to the public library. Remember when we used to go to libraries and stuff, and you used to take out books for free. And I would take I would study and I would write and, um, and this, I was like, this is my, you know, this is my chance to shine. Finally, it's something I remember the day that it was due, I brought it in, I had it professionally bound and with like all leather and everything it was, I was so proud of it towards the end of the class, the teacher said in front of the whole class saying, and we have a surprise, Jim, come up in front and, and give your book report. And I freaked out because I didn't realize I had to talk about it. And when you're the boy with the broken brain, you don't want the attention because you don't feel like you have a lot to offer. You're very insecure about your self-worth. And I, 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 I couldn't breathe when she said that uh, because my heart's being out of my chest. A lot of people have like a, you know, a little fear of public speaking. I, I realize it's like the number one fear mm-hmm. in, in America. And so I think a lot of that came from my insecurities. And so, I lied to her and I said in front of the whole class, I didn't do it. And I just spent like months on this thing, like two months. When everyone, you could see the disappointment in her face. And when when the class left and everyone left, I was there sitting alone. And I remember taking uh, the book report out of my backpack and I threw it in the trash on the way out of class. And I, along with it, I feel like I was... Because that represented something to me, like my potential. I felt like I was like throwing it out because then I just couldn't come through. And so that that, that was a big – That was, school was tough for sure.
0: So how did you transition from having that much trauma around learning and your confidence and what your potential was as a human being to – teaching yourself that you could be smart. I had a really similar experience. I didn't have a brain injury, but in second grade, I had a teacher that made me feel dumb. Mm. And I was put in remedial reading. I was humiliated in front of the class several times. And I, it was by the grace of God that in third grade, I got a teacher that taught me you could learn to be smart mm. and set my whole life wow. on a different trajectory. And I've actually interviewed him on the podcast, and it what? was one of the best episodes. But how did you teach yourself that you could learn to be smart? What did that transition look like? Was there a moment where you had that illumination?
1: After high school, I was lucky enough to get into one, you know one college. I thought freshman meant I can make a fresh start. You know what I mean? You you work your whole you know youth and you feel like you haven't really hit any got any traction. And I just wanted to make my parents proud. That that's a big part of my motivation. And I took all these classes and I did worse. I was ready to quit because my family didn't have the money for me to be, even be there. Uh, much less for me to fail out. And I just thought it wasn't for me. And when I had that thought, a friend of mine said, hey, why don't you, this was back in New York, why don't you come to California with me? I'm going to go visit my family this weekend. And I had never been to California, so I was able to, to make it happen. Their family is um, pretty well off, and it was you know, very different from how I, I grew up. And I remember asking the, the father walking me around his property before dinner, asked me a very innocent question, say, how's school? Which is the worst question, or you could ask me at that time? Like it's like I just break down, and I'm 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 not only introverted, you know, because, uh, you know, how I grew up, I was I'm very introverted by nature, but I'm also very shy, because when you, when you when I had that incident, it made me feel like my self worth and was so low, right. and so
0: you didn't feel enough,
1: right? Which is which is kind of weird because like my two biggest challenges growing up, my two biggest struggles were public speaking and learning. (laughs)
0: LOL. (laughs)
1: Right, exactly. And then the universe has a sense of humor because all I do is public speak on this thing called learning. But how it ended up happening was I was ready to quit school and I was telling my whole story that I'm not smart enough, my broken brain. And I always tell people, they come to me all the time and, They'll, they'll at events or, you know, at the airport or whatever because they see, they see my videos and they'll say, oh, I have a horrible memory. I'm just too old or I'm not smart enough. And I always say, stop. If you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. And so many people are arguing for what they can't do and they get to maintain that, right? And that's what I'm doing. I'm telling them all the reasons why that I'm, I'm ready to quit school and all that have my family. And, and he's like, and he basically, says, stop. Why are you in school? And it's interesting because I was there because I wanted a change of, uh, my friend was saying, hey, come visit my family, get some perspective. And I think perspective is really key to creativity, having a different point of view. And what helps me have a different point of view is to change a place like geography, um, or even just going for a walk outside, changing place and also changing the people I'm spending time with. Because sometimes the people, it's not just your neurological networks, it's your social networks. If If you're around creative people that are encouraging and cheerleading, you tend to be more creative than if you're in a stifling environment surrounded by people who are just energy vampires or they're just critics, right? And so there I am, and he asked me a new question. I think that's another... Power tool besides besides perspective, the ability to ask new questions to be creative, right? And I'm sure you've done episodes on this. It's just thinking is nothing but the process of asking and answering questions. And somebody could be asking themselves when they hear that, is that true? But notice you had to ask a question <laughs> to see if it's true. And he asked me these new questions that I've never been asked before. He said, Why are you in school? And I don't, I honestly didn't have an answer because I just assume that's what you do, yeah. right? <laughs> and, and school had
0: been a torture chamber for you, basically. Right. And you were subjecting yourself to more of that because that was the path that we were all told to go on.
1: And so he asked me the new question, like, why are you in school? And I've never been asked that before. And he was like, well, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want to have? What do you want to share? And again, new questions. New questions give you new answers. And I think if you want to be more creative, you have to ask different questions. Like there's a great book called The Structure of Scientific Revolution that talks about creativity and innovation and says that most innovation comes from out- somebody outside the industry. Take it whether it's, it's fashion, it's automotive, technology, what have you, because it takes somebody from the outside looking in saying, why aren't you doing it this way? Because sometimes, if you grow up in an industry and you're trained the same way, you're also learned the same limits that come with that. So it maybe takes someone like in in Elon Musk to look into like cars and saying, "Hey, new question: using today's technology, you know, how would I build? How would you build a car with today's technology as opposed to just making these incremental improvements?" And so, what did I want to be? What do I want to do? What do I want to have? I didn't have or what I want to share. I didn't have an answer. And eventually I come up with some answers and he says he just hey, pulls out of his back pocket a journal. And I honestly I only thought at that time I only thought like ten year old girls carry diaries and wrote in <laughs> diaries and that was my bias. But he tears out a couple of sheets and he makes me write down these dreams basically like a bucket list. And as a side note, besides perspective, besides the power of asking questions, be creative, I find a lot of creatives write a lot. Mm-hmm. You think about the scientists or the writers, the artists, like the Da Vinci's, the Marine Corps, like they have journals that are priceless. And I always wondered, is it because they're geniuses that they write and reflect a lot? Or is it because they're writing and reflecting all the time that they become geniuses, right? And so he he makes me write it down. And after I don't know how long, I have a f- couple of sheets of papers of my, with my dreams. I start folding up the sheets to put it in my pocket thinking the exercise is done and he grabs that out of my hand and I'm freaking out. (laughs) Like, I can't believe he just did that because I've never shared these things with anybody, nor did I even consciously realize these were the things I wanted. And all of a sudden, this person who's obviously very successful is like, I'm afraid of being judged, right? Like fear of failure, fear of, of of expressing yourself. And he's just staring and he's reading everything and he looks up and I don't know how much time went by, but he's like, Jim, you are, you are this close to everything on that list. And he spreads his index fingers, maybe a foot apart. And I'm thinking, are you crazy? Give me 10 lifetimes. I'm not going to crack that list. And he takes his index fingers and he puts them to the side of my head with my head in between, meaning what's in between is like the the key to get me what I want, which is my, my mind, my, my, my brain. And he takes me into his home, into a room I've never seen before. It's a wall to wall, ceiling to floor covered in books. And keep in mind, I've never read a book cover to cover ever. And I'm like, I hate books. I, they, I even just like, when I'm thinking about that time in my life, it's like walking into a room full of snakes or mm-hmm. somebody who's scared of snakes. But what it made it worse is he starts going to the shelves and start starts grabbing snakes and handing them to me. And I'm looking at the, the titles of these books, and there are these biographies of some incredible men and women artists and mentors in history and some early like personal growth books. And he's like, Jim, I want you to read one book a week. and I'm thinking, you're crazy. Like, there's just no way. I can't even get through my schoolwork. And when I said schoolwork, he was like, Jim, don't let school get in the way of your education. And I didn't realize, this was over 25 years ago, but I didn't realize it was a Mark Twain quote. And I was like, wow, that's really insightful, inspiring. But I still... (laughs) This guy
0: knows everything. (laughs) Right, I
1: know. (laughs) But I can't commit because my parents, and they are my real superheroes, and I couldn't commit to doing this because if I did... I would do it. I would have to do it, but I know I couldn't do it. My capabilities. I said, no, "I'm sorry. That's really great, but I, I I can't do it." Very smart man. He reaches into his pocket, and what does he take out? He takes out my bucket list, which he still has, and he has the audacity to read every single one of my dreams out loud to remind me of like why I'm doing this. And something about hearing a stranger, complete stranger, basically hearing your dreams out you know set out loud and canted out to universe messes with your mind mess with my my soul something fierce and really shook it up and on that list were a lot of things that i wanted to do for my parents things they could never afford you know they even if they could they would never sacrifice they would never do that with that leverage and that motivation i committed to reading one book a week and just as an interesting principle of what we're talking about creativity. It's interesting, you were talking about paradigms and perspective, we're talking about the power of questions to get new answers, because I believe questions really are the answer, the power of writing things down, because I did a podcast on the difference between taking notes and making notes, that if somebody took a piece of paper and just put a line down the page, on the left side, you could capture information like the stuff I teach, how to read faster and how to learn a language, how to how to remember names. You could capture that. But on the right side, what I want people to do is not just capture, I want them to create. I want to be creative. So if your mind is going to go somewhere else and wanders, I'd rather go on that page. And basically you're writing your impressions of the things you're capturing. So on the left side, you're taking notes and the right side, you're making notes. You're creating new ideas. How am I going to use this? How are we going to apply it? How does this relate to what I already know? And so on, questions that you might have. And so I agree to read one book a week and the other principle we're talking about is motivation. Like what's your motive for taking action? Because I really do believe one of the keys to learning faster or even personal growth or, and creativity is having a reason, knowing your why. Like motivation, what are your motive for action? I believe there's a success formula. I call it H cubed, head, heart, hands. That you could have an idea in your head, but if you're not acting on it, with your hands, like maybe you have a goal in your head, but you're not acting on it, you're procrastinating, you're putting it off, I would check in with the second H, which is your heart, and that symbolizes what? You know, emotions. What are the feelings? Um, I believe all learning is state-dependent. and What does that mean? The key to a long-term memory, if we're going to really break it down, information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory. And we know that because the same part of your brain that processes, you know, uh, emotions and memories the same is the same area of the brain and even anecdotally you know that from personal experience like do you have like a song you could hear that could take you back to when you're a teenager of course you do yeah or maybe there's a, a fragrance or a food that could take you back to when you're a child because information by itself is forgettable but information tied to an emotion becomes unforgettable and it's interesting because if you go back to school what's the primary dominant emotion that you felt back in school when you're sitting in class.
0: I heard you ask this question on podcast earlier. I remember fun. Really weirdly enough. But yeah, there was a lot there was a lot of frustration like specifically in math classes mm-hmm. like I was like why can't I just get it? It feels like everyone else gets it. It seems like it's pretty logical. Like there's one right answer. Why don't I understand? So I'd say frustration meets fun.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> I think that's that that's rare because I ask audiences You know, I've been in uh, in the past week. I've been in on three different continents, and speaking way over ten thousand people. And I ask this question all the time. Usually, the the majority of the people say frustration and boredom. And it's interesting, like how you expressed like math, that was like me for like every class. I was like, why am I not getting this? What's wrong? What's wrong with me? How's everyone doing better than me? And they're not even working anywhere as hard as I am. But the emotions, boredom and frustration, a lot of people feel bored in class, they fall asleep in class, they don't see the relevancy to what they're learning. And boredom on a scale of zero to 10 is zero right and if it's information times emotion becomes a long-term memory if the emotion level is zero anything times zero is zero and then you wonder why you forgot most of the things you learned in school
0: right right the there's periodic nothing tied table. To it
1: yeah and the feeling that we the state we learned it in boredom is is not going to be it's not going to encode it in a way that makes it memorable for us and so i, I feel like all learning is state dependent meaning that when i was in school like i just had this anxiety and you don't learn your best when you're just stressed yeah and so you're in a
0: flight or fight state when that's happening exactly
1: when you're in fight or flight like chronic stress actually is proven that it actually shrinks your brain when you're creating adrenaline and and cortisol it's fight or flight you know physical activity but it's not really great if you need to prepare for a meeting or to write your book or to be you know make videos or or do a podcast right to express yourself or to, to to play an instrument. You have to be in that flow and that relaxed state. And so I go back to class and I have a pile of books I promised to read and a pile of books that I have to read. And I can't even get through one pile.
0: So this is after you had the conversation with the bucket list. And I I
1: committed to doing it. And it was my reason. And the reason is the feeling that I wanted to to do well for my family. And that was a reason I think everyone to get their creative juices going just to tap into those emotions, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what artists are wonderful at. It's, it's, it's interesting, this observation, because, you know, we lose a number of artists, you know, unfortunately, every year to suicide and, and challenges. It makes me think that I think what makes them such so amazing is that they feel so much. And that's why they could, create their music or how they're expressing themselves but maybe it's because they feel so much they also feel potentially a lot of pain or from
0: the extremes are deeper yeah happiness is happier and the sadness is more sad
1: i would imagine and then so they have to turn to maybe substances or something else to be able to to alleviate some of that that Mm -hmm. pain and so
0: do you think there's a way through your training to make it less extreme like to walk more of a middle line would you recommend that for someone who's in that situation?
1: You know, I I mental health is something that's um it's something people need to prioritize for sure. And you know, I'm not I'm not a I'm doctors or, or a psychiatrist. What I do know is that we have more potential than what we are expressing. And I really think that human beings, we we're talking about this before we started recording, is that the world we live in right now where our talents are it's tough because a lot of jobs are being lost to automation, artificial intelligence. You walk through the airport, you walk into a bank, you walk into a a drugstore, and there's machines that do everything that people used to do, right? And so what makes us uniquely human, I feel like it's the things that you teach on your podcast, right? Creativity, like a a computer's not going to do that. And so I feel like that is where people need to double down on and lean into. The challenge is, is... Like, school is a great place to learn, like, what to learn. Like, they teach you what to learn, what to think, and what to remember. But they don't show you how. They don't show you how to learn, how to think, and how to remember things. And so if creativity, imagination, strategy, these things are important, then why aren't we being taught these things in in school? Like, people automatically assume. It's like focus. I do so so much training on focus. A parent will yell at their child and just say, "You know, get them, you know, be motivated or or be or focus right now." But that's the equivalent of going to a child and saying, "Play the piano." Who's never taken a piano lesson because they weren't taught? You're just automatically assume, "Like, go study." But nobody's shown this child how to study, right? And that that's a big challenge. And I feel like the world has changed so much through innovation. I mean, through creativity. Like, we we live in a world where we have autonomous electric cars like literally cars that take you with no driver. We live in a world where they're building spaceships that are going to Mars, which is insane. But the vehicle of choice when it comes to learning and education is like a horse and buggy. And like they say of Rip Van Winkle, you know, the guy who slept for decades. Mm. So Rip Van Winkle. I've heard his name, but I didn't know that that was a real thing. Yeah, (laughs) he slept for decades and it was this, um, this tale. But if he woke up today, the only thing he would recognize, they say, our schools, because our schools haven't changed as much as the world has changed. If you're struggling right now listening to this, it's because we live in the 21st century, but we grew up with a 20th century education. And at the turn of this 20th century, you know, we're talking about an agricultural, working on farms, working in factories, being told what to do. And a lot of school is just being compliant. And the human brain does not learn through consumption. It learns through creation and creativity and co-creativity and doing it with, with you know, its social settings. But it's not, you can't, be, you can't sit in a room full of dozens of people and just be lectured to. That's not how people learn the best.
0: They need to be interactive, right?
1: Right. There's so many other elements. And so it's tough because it's like a one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter assembly line approach towards education. And the stigma is it's like some people go through it and they're successful right at it but most people actually don't and then the the idea here is 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 if you don't if you go through this system which is set up for a different kind of learning very specific kind of learning style if you don't come out of it well and you didn't do well then there's something wrong with you right? And that, that, that's what people are carrying. I think a lot of people who are listening could relate to this idea like how you were in math or how I was in, in most of my subjects that I just don't feel like enough and there's something wrong with me. But maybe the pr- way that if you have gone through the same thing, maybe the way you prefer to learn is different than the the way the teacher prefers to teach. And it's like you're two ships in the night and you're passing each other and you don't even know the other one's there and there's no connection, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think self-awareness is a superpower to figure out how we prefer to learn. and
0: How can we start to become more self-aware?
1: So that that's the magic question. I really think, and your podcast does is remarkable in this area because when we're talking about creativity and overcoming fear and and figuring out like who we are, like our true nature, I think in order to be really happy, you need two things. You need the curiosity to know yourself. I mean, really, like who are you? Who who? What are your beliefs? What are your values? What's most important to you in life? You know, if I was, I think two and most. Powerful words in the English language are the smallest, I am, right? Whatever you put after that determines your life, your your destiny, right? And so self-awareness is a superpower. But once you have the curiosity to know yourself, I think the other part to being fulfilled is having the courage to be yourself. Because as as you talk about a lot is like what, what really mitigates and, and limits our creativity and our self-expression is the fear of making mistakes is the fear of looking bad to our peers it's interesting because you see these memes on social media that a child like could fall how many times before they learn how to walk
0: so many times kids suck at walking right
1: they really do <laughs> <laughs> and so all the kids that are listening you know if you haven't, Sorry, uh, guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: But, but you know it's true. Yeah. But what you don't suck at is trying again. Exactly, and that's what we lose as we get older.
1: And and why is that? It's so interesting because you know a child could fall 500 times and they never like they're never like oh f- forget that I'm not going to walk yeah right. But it, adults do that all the time. They'll take a singing lesson or a coding lesson or they'll try you know a ballroom dance class and they're not good at it and they just mm-hmm. like after a couple times they're like okay that's not me. And you'll go do a class. They do these studies where they'll. Walk into a class of five-year-olds and they say, how many artists are in the room? And 100% of the room will raise their hand. They'll come back 10 years, that same group of, of you know, of kids. They're 15 years old now. How many artists in the room? 5%. Mm-hmm. That's sad.
0: It's so sad. It's something, you know, what you're touching on is something we've talked about a lot, which is the art of being bad at something. That's what I call it. So tuning back into how you were when you were a kid, because when you were a kid, you were just excited to try something new. You're excited to learn. You didn't care that you were so bad because you didn't know what it was like to be good at anything. And so we have to tune back into that as adults. And it's a brilliant thing you bring up. And something else that you talked about that I loved was how, you know, for instance, Elon Musk, he disrupted the auto industry with Tesla. Right. But he didn't have like the cred to do that, right? He right. didn't have a background in cars. Yet he wasn't sitting there like, well, I really don't have the credentials. I don't know if I should try to design a car. He went for it and was wildly successful because of it. Right. So how can we get a little bit of that Musk swag in whatever we want to do?
1: I love this. I love this conversation. <laughs> well, now that you mentioned that, I have no external credentials for doing what I do. Right,
0: and I do want to also finish the story up of like how you actually started doing this in your career. So I guess it's a two-part question. So first of all, how did you end up going from that list to becoming the worldwide phenomenon that you are?
1: So I would say... Well, you're very flattering. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you could just do my PR. That's, that's wonderful. I'd love to. Uh, come around everywhere. And,
0: and then the second one is, how can we get that Musk swag? The Musk we're gonna, swag. We're going to coin that today. So how did you go from that bucket list moment where you decide you're going to read one book a week to then making this into a career? Yeah.
1: So I was hospitalized. I um, When I came back from... From school, I had a pile of books I had to read for school, and a pile of books that I promised to read. And I'll do everything I can to keep a promise, but I didn't have the time. So where did I take the time from? I didn't spend any time with friends. I didn't spend any time working out. I didn't spend any time. I wasn't eating. I was just. I just lived. And I wasn't sleeping. I pulled all nighters all the time, and not very sustainable. I was living in the library. And one night, after just a couple months of doing this, I pass out out of sheer exhaustion. I fall down a flight of stairs. And I hit my head again. And I woke up in the hospital two full days later. And at this point, I'm wasting it away. I'm down to 117 pounds because I wasn't eating. I was very malnourished. I was hooked up to all these IVs. I thought I died. And maybe part of me wish I did because I was such a burden and I was adding, you know, that's where I was. Very, very dark, dark place. And I said there has to be a better way. Notice I asked the question. And the universe responded in the form of the nurse coming in with a mug of tea. And on that mug was a picture of Albert Einstein. And remember, I did the book report in you know in high school where I threw out my potential, I threw it out in the trash on Albert Einstein. And it had a quote from him on I know I got (laughs) got the chills. I I got the goose the truth bumps also. On on there was a quote well, a famous saying he has that we've all heard in some form. It said, the same level of thinking that's created your problem won't solve your problem. The same level of creating, the same level of thinking that's created your problem, this is creativity, right, won't solve your problem. You need to be able to think in a different creative way. And I was, made me ask a new question. I was like, well, what's my problem? My real problem is I'm a slow learner. Well, how do I think creatively about it? Well, maybe I could, I could learn how to learn faster. And I asked the nurse for a course bulletin for next semester's classes, because I was like, school could teach me how to do that. I look at all the classes, and again, they're all classes on what to learn, math, history, science, Spanish, but no classes on how to learn it. So I put my studies aside, and I devote myself to solving this riddle. I wanted to solve this riddle, this puzzle like I, I do an annual brain power event and we had uh, recently Quincy Jones was in the audience and I asked him to come on stage and I asked, I started interviewing him and it's interesting. He's extremely creative, but I asked him this question. I was like, I don't, I don't want to know about your successes. We all know we are the world and thriller and, and, you know, you know, Oprah and all that. I want to know your, your, your problems. Like what, what are the problems you're facing right, like right now? And he's like, Jim, I don't have any problems. I'm like, you're 80 something years old. Like I'm sure you have some you know, problems. I at least talk about a history. What did you, what did you, the problem? like, no, no problems. I don't have problems. I have puzzles, he says. And it's kind of interesting that one different word changes everything around it. Because puzzles sound fun to yeah, me. Yeah,
0: it's playful.
1: Yeah, like problems. I'm like, oh, I don't want to deal with these problems, but I have a bunch of puzzles. I'm like, yeah, let's let's get into it. There's a solution here, and it's be playful and fun. And so I wanted to solve this puzzle of how does my brain work, so I could work my brain better. And so I start studying brain science. I start studying uh, speed reading. I start studying mnemonics, like. How did they remember things in ancient Greece before printing presses and you know, Native Americans? How did they pass on information? So I started studying all of that, adult learning theory, multiple intelligence theory. I started studying creativity, brainwave states, like the theta state, the state that we go in when we shower. Remember and come up with all those new ideas and everything? I took six showers this morning just to prepare for this <laughs> podcast. I want to be like really like having great ideas. But there's a science for getting into those states because you don't have creativity. You do creativity. So I started studying all of this for about two months. And about 60 days into it, a light switch flipped on, and I just started to understand things for the first time, like really understand. I started to have better focus, better concentration.
0: Was it just that you finally figured out it was possible, do you think? Or was it all of that learning culminating into that moment?
1: It was, it was kind of all of a sudden, but I, I think I was working on it. It's kind of like if you're, 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 you're working out and you just start seeing some definition or something, like, oh, it's kind of appearing. But it's like, you know, so many people give up before they get through that breakthrough. And right. in order to shoot, when I mentioned SpaceX and Elon, that rocket ship, in order. It uses ninety, 90 more than ninety percent of the fuel just to get out of Earth's orbit. But from there, you could go. You could just flick it, and it'll just go on because there's no friction. But much like our pursuits, that everyone listening, you're working on your book, you're working on your your art, you're working on uh, on a show, whatever it is, your pursuit are. Sometimes it doesn't happen right away because we have to put ninety five percent of that effort. And in the beginning, you're you're. Let's be honest, most of us were grossly underpaid. Right. You have to feed your business. You have to feed your art. You have to feed your dream until your business, your dream feeds you back. Right. But in the beginning, you're grossly underpaid, but it switches. And if you do this right and there's some luck involved, let's be honest. Right. There is luck involved, but you have to be prepared to act on that timing, the opportunity, that connection, whatever. Then, you know, you could – if you do the things that few people do, you could live a life that few people could ever imagine and you're grossly over rewarded. And we see these people who are highly successful, but we don't see the sacrifice and the tears and right. the all night And I think and,
0: we need to start talking about those tears uh, more. Yeah, very because much Because it's so. painful to become the person, artist, entrepreneur, whatever it is that you want to be. It's
1: lonely too. It's
0: lonely and it's maddening and sometimes you feel like, what am I even doing here? Mm-hmm but like you're saying i love that image that you see sometimes online of the guy who is so close to the gold but then he turned around
1: yeah exactly you know
0: and it's if you're so close to the gold don't give up yeah. there's a reason this pursuit is in your heart i,
1: did, I just did a whole show on this like it was, i called it stone Cutter. like when you see the a big slab of 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 granite or something and stone Cutter, an artist is just is, has a has a you know, the spike, and it just nail, nail, it just hit it, hit it, hit it, hammers away at it 100 times, 200 times, 300 times, nothing changes from the outside, nothing. And all of a sudden, 500th time, 500th first time, it splits, right? And my question for you, everyone listening, was it that 500th time, the 500th first time that did it? it? Part of it, but it was all of it leading up. And you don't always see the change that's going on on the inside. And what I'm saying, when it comes to a tipping point with any of our Art or how it expresses itself. Sometimes you have to build up that energy, and maybe it's the universe's way, it's life's way of seeing if you're serious about this. It is, you know, testing, testing your, you. Yeah, testing your faith, testing your perseverance. Because if it was easy, everyone would have it, right? right? Everyone would be able to do it. So it it really forces you. Again, it's not the creation it's 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 also not just reaching the goal it's it's who you have to become because you're not only like sculpting the world here you're sculpting the internal world of your soul of your your mind right you're sculpting your your spirit your heart your emotions because you're developing things that make you because the people who are given everything like those are the people i just don't want to hang out with because they're not interesting mm-hmm. to me right people that have an entitlement where they feel like like you cannot and i'm calling because i'm a coach i'm calling you on your bs you cannot be upset at the results you're not getting for the work you're not doing, like so many people, they complain because they feel like it should be easy. But that no one said it should be easy. Like nobody said it. I mean, what people are saying is it's worth it. But when I when I was going through this, uh, sixty days, light switch went on. And I kind of didn't understand things because I I split the rock right, and all of it added up. I started making incremental, incremental, you know, improvement, and then all of a sudden it just and when my grades improved, my life improved also. And but I couldn't help. Honestly, truth is I got angry. I was like, I struggled for my whole life since I was five years old, every single day working harder than everybody that I, around me and just being sad and feeling not enough. And when I could have done these simple things that weren't taught. So I started to teach other people because I was on a mission.
0: And just and people you would meet? Friends, friends could in
1: school teach. and everything. Out uh, that my, out know, I was 18 years old and just started to tutor. And one of my very first students... She read thirty books in thirty days and thirty days after going through like this coaching that that we do now online for everybody is thirty days into it. She read thirty books in thirty days and i I wanted to find out remember genius leaves clues i didn 't need to know how she did it i I taught her how to how to speed read I want to know why she did it you know just like with with my why was that bucket list her why was her mother was dying of terminal cancer. I always get choked up when I think about this because it, it was like yesterday. The doctors gave her mother two months to live and the books she was reading were books to save her mom's life and she was so determined and that's what i mean about finding your why you know you could get the goal it's just you need the drive and the reasons reasons reap results but i found out that that her motivation is to save her mom's life i said i wish her luck good luck but i don't hear from her for for six months and then i get a call and she's crying, and she's crying and crying. And I, and when she finally stops, I realize that, that there are tears of joy, that her mother has not only survived, but is getting better. Doctors don't know how. They don't know why. The doctors actually called it a miracle. But her mother attributed 100% to the great advice she got from her daughter, who learned it from all these books. And in that moment, I realized that if knowledge is power then learning is our superpower. And it's a superpower we all have inside of us. You know, when we're talking about the technology of digital deluge, digital distraction, digital dementia, digital depression, with the ultimate technology, the good news is the ultimate technology we're born with it's, it's our mind. It's our brain. You know, it controls everything in our life, our creativity, our focus, our career, our relationships, everything. And I'm just saying that you are more powerful than you think. My message to the world is regardless of your age, regardless of your background, your career, educational level, your financial situation, your gender, your personal history, your IQ, that doesn't matter. What what matters, that actually only one third of it is is genetic and biological. Two thirds is completely in your control, but it starts with the decision to want more and to really say, like, I'm not willing to settle for anything less than what I'm capable of, and having the belief in yourself. Meaning that I just went for a walk, and by the way, taking walks is a great way of being creative. Most people just use their creative time. It's like getting from meeting to meeting, and it's just like it's like it's what comes last. Right. Their art or whatever when everything else is done. And that never happens because it's not scheduled. And there's a reason why creatives like Steve Jobs, they didn't do meetings sitting around like a table. They did walking meetings because it's proven when you walk outside in the fresh air, you actually come up with better ideas. Right. And also when you move, you create something called brain derived neurotropic factors, which is like fertilizer for neurogenesis and neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity is creativity. That that's actually new brain cells connecting because creativity is nothing but creating one is connecting one thing to another and so in order to foster that the key to neurogenesis neuroplasticity which is creativity novelty and nutrition but when i was going for a walk the other day i looked up and i have this thing with heights because i've i've one of my brain injuries was I fell off a roof. (laughs) So, you know, heights aren't my thing. But that's why I force myself to go skydiving. And I do all these uh, zero G things. And I, you know, people see me follow me, they see me do these adventures, because I want to face those fears. Because I don't think it's about being fearless. I think it's having the courage in spite of being scared. And that's where our growth happens at the edge of our limits when we're playing and practicing there. But I noticed the bird up there is not afraid. And it's like chirping (laughs) away. And I, I do these creativity experiments where I change point of views. And I'm like, what would it look like from their point of view and i'm like wow that's really high high up and i was like but it's not scared it's completely confident and i realized it's because it's not because it puts its trust in that tree branch it's because it puts its trust in its own wings and i feel like everyone listening here that it's so important it's easy to say to believe in yourself but really honor who you are like your your superpower is your uniqueness you like nobody could be you but but you, right? And I think fully expressing that and having just a daily routine that helps you to grow who you are. I think that's what life is about. I think it's about growing and giving. And I feel like that's that's where we're happiest. So it's when we're growing, and we're also we're also giving.
0: Great tip for any creative. So how can we get a little bit of that Musk swag in whatever we want to do?
1: So I would say that I do here in in Los Angeles, I I train a lot of actors. They have needs for learning, like uh, to read scripts faster, to be able to memorize their lines in a fraction of the time. And so I remember I was doing a training for uh, Jim Carrey and we were at his home and preparing for a role and during a break... We go into the kitchen, and I I do I did a number of podcast episodes on how to the best brain foods, right? And we're making like some of the best brain foods ever, and guacamole and everything. And while we're doing it, I use this as an opportunity to to ask him questions. And I asked him this question: I was like, "Why do you do what you do?" Because I always want to know why. Because everyone knows, that, I think a lot of people know what to do, but we don't always do what we know. It's so weird. There's this cognitive dissonance where. Common sense is not always common practice, mm. and so how do you get yourself to to act right? And I always I come back to the second H, which is the hard why. And, and I and he said, Jim, I act like a complete fool on camera. I so extreme because I want people who are watching. I want to give them permission to be themselves, and that that's really powerful. He was like, my religion is to free people from the concerns of others free freedom of, of the concerns of others. And I feel like that that's an interesting mindset because I don't talk about this, but I spend a lot of time in senior centers and nursing homes. I one of the reasons why is you know in my family we like we, we're taught to really respect so much wisdom in our elders. And I so I love learning from people from that have had different life experiences, especially the breath of life. The other reason why I do is because I lost my grandmother to Alzheimer's. She helped raise me because growing up, my my father, and my mother, they had multiple jobs, and and she she raised me. And so when when I was going through my challenges as the boy with a broken brain, I, you know, I was being cared for. She was my caregiver, but then she would call me by a different name, you know, or she wouldn't reckon. She would say something she just said sixty seconds ago, as if it was something brand new, and to watch that. deteriorate you know your memory the reason why i'm so passionate about memory is not just for mental intelligence it's also yes facts figures names everything teach some people to do that in a fraction of the time it's but it's also remembering your life remembering your loved ones remembering the lessons in your life and she was losing all that and when you lose that you know who are who are you when you lose your memories, and so I spend time in senior centers helping them polish off their memories. I I train at the Cleveland Clinic Center for Brain Health, train their doctors, their caregivers. And by the way, if there are any caregivers listening to this right now, like total respect, like mm-hmm. it, it's some, and and just a reminder if you're a caregiver to somebody is to take care of yourself also, because we can't give what we what we don't have. And so many mart- people I see martyring themselves. Um, It's really tough. My mom
0: just went through that. My grandma just passed away. She had a disease called multiple system atrophy. And my mom poured everything into taking care of my grandma for 12 years. And it really is an epidemic. And caregivers are the unsung heroes of our society because it just takes so much out of them. And like you're saying, you do have to have that base level of a foundation of self-care within yourself in order to really give the good care that you want to give. So I really appreciate that you talk about that because it's something that is not out front in the media enough yeah. right now.
1: Yeah, this is, uh, again, when get choked up. I, I lost my second grandmother, um, and my mother did the same thing. She was there every day after work, after teaching. She would go there every single day. And so I would go also and then I would help them just share their stories, not even teaching them anything about memory, but just having them share their stories just mm. polishes those those that storytelling. It's yeah. one of the
0: most powerful tools we have.
1: And that's what people before there was a printing press and everything, that's how we would pass on information, you know, through generations around campfires, right? And so but spending time in that environment, besides, you know, learning a lot and just helping with their memory and brain health, when when you're intimate and you're talking to them. You know, these regrets always come up. You know when you're in your your last, you know that that stage of your life, and the common regret, and I'll sum it up, is is usually they re- that somehow they didn't express themselves or they weren't themselves because fear of they didn't have a relationship with this person that they were attracted to or in love with because of what other people would think, or they pursued a career that their parents put them in because that's what was expected of them. And so you'd always have these regrets surface up. And I'll tell people, one of my favorite books came from a, a mentor who has passed. His name is Dr. Stephen Covey. He wrote a, a best selling book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, a book I highly recommend. These are the seven habits of some of the most effective, productive people. And one of the habits is begin with the end in mind, meaning that if you want to, win your day. Like one of the simple things I have, like if I want to win the day and I want to come, I want to come home at the day and then someone asks me how my day was, you know, and I say, you know, or you say, you crushed, I, I crushed it today. What had to happen in order for that to happen? And then work backwards from that, right? Instead of a 200 thing checklist on to-do list and everything, I would think about those two or three things that make it a win for like those, my friend Clay calls them champagne moments. <laughs> like in in sports, you know when you should be celebrating because it's very clear, and so what, what's, how do you celebrate in your life? And then working backwards just from day, I would, I would actually start with the end of your life and work backwards from there.
0: So like, like, I mean, neither of our favorite subjects, but basically do a geometry proof <laughs> of what you want your life to look like and work backward.
1: It's interesting because the ultimate thought experiment is imagining yourself, you know, what do you want your friends and family to say at your funeral? they they're, you're not they're not going to say like oh this person is great spent a lot of time in the office right that's not and so you work backwards from there one of the things i think about is you know when when we pass this is not a comfortable conversation but i feel like it needs to be just reminded is like when we're in that box there's no there's no room for possessions and great have the great cars and everything else like that but there's definitely no room for regret that when we're taking our final breaths like at you know Gasps of air, at that moment, none of other people's opinions, none of their expectations, none of your fears are going to make a difference. You know, what's going to make a difference is how we lived, how we laughed, how we learned, you know, how we loved. Those are the things that really matter. So why are we putting... Like, I always tell people that if, you, if you're fueled by other people's opinions, then you're going to run out of gas. You literally could go broke buying into the opinions of other people. And that this comes back to the this is what's constraining us from fully expressing ourselves. Because, like, for me, I don't, I don't love public speaking. I have a book coming out. That's my first book. And I'm, I'm, I'm about, about to finish it. So I'm in this creative pursuit here. But what really propelled that was I had an accident a few years ago, and I almost died. And that puts things, talk about perspective, that puts things into perspective. And it made me think like, oh, goodness, like, you know, like life is not guaranteed tomorrow. And it made me think about legacy. And I said, you know, like, I'm going to do this book that I've been putting off for like 10 years because, you know, shame on me, first of all, if I have something that could help people and I'm not, you know, offering it. And then the other reason, like, I feel like a moral obligation to do this because if somebody's suffering and struggling the way I did, and I I could help them, then, you know, then I want to be able to do that. And so going back to the reasons, I think that's very important. And so opinions, expectations, if you want to be the Elon Musk, I feel like what jumpstarts that is he has a real passion, and a real mission for doing something. He realizes that his time on earth is um, SpaceX is actually a client of mine, and so I've, I've, you know, I've done trainings for his rocket scientists. Elon's there with his children. I've posted some of these pictures on on, on Instagram. So I have a high respect for, and we actually bonded. It's interesting on creative pursuits. We actually bonded on our shared love for science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and anyway, I believe leaders are readers. That's why I encourage everyone to, to read a little bit more. By the way, reading fiction also is because a lot of people just read business books or personal development books. Reading fiction is really great for your imagination, your creativity, oh, yeah. and empathy also. When you're reading stories, it actually gets you to f- feel like you're those characters and be able to see things from different points of, of view. But in, to be an Elon Musk and to be able to, to innovate, to be able to have that drive, I would say know your reasons. And have a vision, an aspiring vision for what you want to create. I love that your community is filled with creatives because I feel like creatives are the modern day superheroes, right? And, and the power that they have is taking the invisible and making it visible, right? You have an idea in your mind or in your heart and you make it visible through your art, through your expression, through your videos, through your paintings, through your music, however you're expressing yourself, through your body, and having that impulse to be able to do it, knowing that your time is short here, that live for today, and then also knowing the strategy for having to do that. Because the the biggest lie actually out there is that intelligence is something you have. It's not something you have, it's something you do. Like, people hypnotize themselves. I think the nature of this conversation For both our podcasts is about transcending. Like, if you break down the word transcend, you're ending the trance. This mass hypnosis spread out by, you know, marketing and media that says we're broken, that, you know, this is the way, the only one way to be successful or to be able to live. And it's just not true. And part of it is not just external things that are putting into us, you know, putting these lies or this BS into our, BS stands for like belief systems, (laughs) like these new belief systems in our mind. But we're also doing it with our language. When we say, oh, I don't have creativity or I don't have focus or I don't have energy or I don't have motivation we're actually giving our power out because those are it's assuming that you either have it or don't.
0: Mm.
1: When they these are things are not nouns, they're verbs.
0: So how do you unlearn those destructive bs stories you've told yourself?
1: Yeah, so I would start with this. I would start with number 1, responsibility. A few years ago, I got to introduce two of the people I got to work with, two of my modern-day superheroes together. They're extremely creative. They never met each other over the course of their career. And so I invited them both out to dinner. And I pick them both up. And it's um, Richard Branson and Stan Lee. Stan Lee.
0: Wow. Right,
1: And I... And I- In the late, late Stan Lee. And he, um, he's my superhero because he created all my superheroes growing up. I couldn't read. I taught myself how to read by reading comic books, his comic books.
0: So he changed the course of your life forever. The reason you were working with him was because of him.
1: Completely. And
0: I I just want to do a sidebar on this for one minute. If you ever, you listening, if you ever think that what you have to say and what you have to do isn't important, just think of that. I mean, He didn't know that that was going to change the course of your life and set you on this journey. But just by putting his imagination out into the world, he gave you such an opportunity. And the ripple effects of that, you
1: you can can never never
0: measure it. You can't. It's so unbelievable. That's how important your story is. That's how important it is to share what you have on your heart. You can literally change the course of and even save someone's life. No matter how trivial whatever you think you're putting out is, hmm. it's, not. it's not. It could change the course of someone's life and the course of history.
1: Yeah. And, and it, there's science for that also. I, I literally got goosebumps when you were saying that. Like, I did too. I, it, like, I, I, call them, I call them truth bumps. Oh, because, I love like, that. Yeah, because I feel so connected to what you're saying. It, they call it in science the butterfly effect. In systems, it, when when a butterfly flaps its wings, it could create a tsunami, theoretically across the world. Wow. That a little flap of a butter of a wing could create that through through. especially in the world we live in today, with our smartphones, right? We're all connected. We have access to more information and people than President Clinton did when he was in office, just from our phones right? And he had all the resources in the world, right? And so it's an exciting time now that I agree completely, anyone listening to this, that's what, it's amazing, because if somebody could be listening to this, you know, in a, in a third world country in, in some village, and they could learn to be creative, and they could become the next Elon Musk, you know, the next Malala, and you know, who she, she changed education mm-hmm. when she was 16 years old. And, and the thing is, is, is we're not taught how to be creative so we're're we're, we're lying to ourselves saying this is something you have or don't have and that's absolutely not true. Take nouns and turn them into verbs and so instead of saying that I, I don't have creativity, what you're thinking about is how do I do creative things and there's a process for it and when I was introducing Stan and and Richard together uh, when I was in the car, I was like Stan, I have to ask you this like you created all my favorite heroes who's your favorite? And he's like, Jim, it's Iron Man. And I'm like, that, that's awesome. He's like, Jim, who's your favorite superhero? And uh, he has this big, he's wearing this big Spider-Man tie out to dinner. Mm-hmm. And I put this whole story on social media. I basically said Spider-Man because he has a Spider-Man tie. And without a pause, he goes, Jim, with great power comes great Responsibility, right? We've we've all heard that, and it's like in our DNA, like this soup the hero's journey. And am I still because of my brain injury? I've had three traumatic brain injuries. I still reverse things in my head. You know, maybe a little dyslexic when I read, and I reversed it. I was like, "Stan, you're right. With great power comes great responsibility, and the opposite is also true. With great responsibility comes great power. When we take responsibility for something, we have great power to make things better." And I feel like most people, they try to avoid responsibility because especially artists are entrepreneurs, like they, they're they doing what they're doing because they, they don't want to be told what to do, right? And they want to do what they want, when they want, for as long as they want, with whoever they want, and so on. And I feel like when we take responsibility, we actually have more power. We have the power to make things better there's this quote that said that you know this discipline that that actually equals freedom because if you can't get yourself to do the things you need to do then you're in prison mm-hmm. right and so
0: how do you build discipline
1: I, I believe the treasure that everyone seeks the treasure you seek is hidden in the work you're avoiding the treasure you seek is hidden in the work of you're avoiding often is often hidden there meaning that it's it's hidden also in our daily routines meaning first you create your habits, and then your habits create you. And I feel like a lot of things we're putting off that we're not doing are very important for us, but why do we put them off? You know, fear of success, fear of failure, fear of not looking good, or whatever it is. And I think the number one fear people have is fear that they're, they aren't enough. And if they're not enough, they're not going to be loved. And as a child, if you're not loved, you, you could you're not gonna be taken care of, and you could die. I mean, it's like a real you know right. like that core of of everything we're doing. so to be disciplined, I think what what's important is understand that discipline equals the freedom that you want, and also I think Jocko Williams said that, and um so that's not my my saying but um but I think part of it also is knowing your why and breaking things down into small parts. Ivy League schools say that approximately 40% of our daily behavior is totally unconscious. One of the top 10 episodes I ever did that most downloaded is my morning routine, like 10 things I do in the morning to jumpstart my brain, to be focused and creative, right? But I feel like most of us go into default because we just do things out of an old script. Yeah, and that's
0: something fascinating you talk about too, where you shouldn't look at your phone oh, in the goodness. first hour of your day. That's one of your top tips. A, and that is a killer to creativity, uh, it, right? It
1: is. I could tell you. I have, I have video. one video on Facebook has 35 million views of me just talking about. So I believe that there are four – Super villains we talk about being a modern day superhero, how creatives are modern day superheroes, but there are some super villains that are are growing in power also and they're they're fueled by by technology. and these are challenges that previous generations didn't have to deal with. Number one is a digital deluge. it's it's this information overload. We're drowning information and we're starving for practical wisdom. Nowadays, to keep up with your industry, it's so interesting. That I read recently that the average graduate, because the world's changing so much, is going to have anywhere from 8 to 14 different careers, not jobs. Different careers could be completely different industries because we don't know where the world's going to be. And it's happening so quickly, faster and faster, and it's exponential. And we're drowning information. Even the half-life of information, and I, I train everywhere from Caltech to U, um, UCLA to Harvard University, and NYU, the half-life information when people are graduating, it's getting dated because we're coming up with... Even, even when it comes to the brain, we've discovered more about the human brain, more in the past 10, 20 years than the previous thousand years combined, right? And one of my clients, Google, you know, when I was there last time doing brain training, somebody said the amount of information that's been created from the year, from since human beings walked the earth to the year 2003. Now, 2003 wasn't that long ago, maybe a decade and a half. That amount of information, think about that Library of Congress, all the newspaper, all the books, everything, that amount of information, how long does it take to create that information today, that mass volume? Two days. You think about all the podcasts, all the blogs, all the YouTube videos, all the social media. So you were drowning in it. So I think the ability to learn faster, read faster is important. So number one, digital deluge. Number two, digital distraction. And we cannot focus. People cannot focus on a conversation that they're having. They lose their attention. They're trying to remember a name, but they're talking to somebody. They're not really focusing. They're looking at, especially here in LA, you know, like looking around. Who can help me? Who's around here? Who can
0: I, you know, latch on to?
1: Exactly. Everyone's looking over everyone's shoulders, seeing who's more important, and they're not present, and we've lost our focus. They're saying our focus is less than a goldfish, right, functionally. And part of the reason why it's getting less and less and less, our attention span is, our smartphones, because here's why, as you mentioned it, I, I always tell people, do not, for years I've been telling people, do not pick up your phone the first hour of the day. And and I guarantee you, people are listening to this like, oh, I love this guy up to now. You know, he's judging me. But like, like as a coach, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm a brain coach. And if you want your ultimate creativity and overcoming your fears and have focus and get things done, Your phone is a great device. Technology is wonderful. It allows us to have this conversation right now. It it allowed us to be able to connect. It allows us to help more people. But also, in a way, it also cripples us. And one of the reasons why is when you wake up in the morning, um, you're in this creative relaxed state of awareness and if the first thing you do is pick up your phone you're extremely suggestible and you're rewiring your brain for two things number one you're rewiring your brain to be distracted because every like share comment cat video whatever whatever it's entertaining you that gives you a dopamine fix and it makes it addicting right and so We did a show, a two-part show on how to create habits and how to break old habits. And I interviewed Dr. B.J. Fogg out of Stanford University. And he runs a lab there on behavioral um, change, um, behavioral psychology. And one of his students actually co-founded Instagram. And you think about how addictive that is. All of these platforms, they pay a fortune to psychologists to get this, to get you spending time on these platforms because that's how they make money, right? And- I, I, somebody told me, I don't know if this is accurate, but the average person opens up Instagram, I heard 150 times a day. Can that be even real?
0: I, I mean, I hope I don't do that. My God. Uh, yeah, I guess it could be real depending. I mean, especially if you're thinking about – this is why I think creativity is so important. If you're sitting at a job that is not fulfilling you mm-hmm. and you have an extra minute – while the boss isn't looking, what are you going to do? What's the lowest common denominator? You're going to check your phone. What are you going to check on your phone? The thing that lights up and it's basically like a magazine of everyone you know and everyone you want to know. So... Yeah, I bet you it is true.
1: Yeah, and if you're not, if you're listening to this and you know you don't open it 150 times, that means somebody else is opening up way more, right, right? if the average is, like, in 100, 150. But so the idea here is if you're picking up your phone the first hour of the day, you're training your brain to be distracted, and you wonder why you can't focus because you're spending all that time building these distraction muscles – when, when focus really is a muscle also, so you need to exercise that and have restraint. But the other reason why you don't want to pick up your phone the first hour of the day is it rewires your brain not only for distraction, it rewires your brain to be reactive, meaning that all it takes is one text message or one email or one voicemail that puts you off course for the rest of the day, right? And you're fighting fires. Automatically, if you pick up your phone and check your messages, you're on the defense. And you can't have a creative, fulfilling, expressive life if you're just reacting to things, right? And just responding to things and fighting fires.
0: And doesn't it also teach you that you're putting your worth in other people's hands? It
1: does. I I have a friend named Brendan Burchard, who's a New York Times bestselling author. And he says, your inbox is nothing but a convenient organizational system for other people's agenda for your life. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, like,
0: Zinger. Yeah, I'll say
1: it again. Your <laughs> inbox is nothing but a convenient organizational system for other people's agenda for your life. And Brendan said that. And I just, again, I got these truth bumps because it's, it's, you're reacting to, to things. And here's the difference. Like, if you really want a successful, fulfilling life, metaphors are a good way to learn things, right? We learn things through story. You know, as, as you talk about storytelling and metaphors and analogies and parables, you want to identify, more with a thermostat, not a thermometer. right? I, I mentioned this just briefly. so just a thermometer reacts to the environment right? It just literally just reacts to whatever environment is giving it. But a thermostat on the wall is different. It sets a temperature and what happens to the environment, it meets that temperature. And so it is proactive and the environment reacts to it. And I would say that be a thermostat, set a goal, set a standard, set a vision for your day, for your life, and then make the environment react to you. And that's what creatives do. You know again like whether it's it's a JK Rawlings you know for Harry Potter whether it's a Walt Disney a Spielberg or whoever it's like they have an idea and they, they impose their will until like the universe and 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 everything responds so digital digital distraction is a challenge so don't pick up your phone and the best way of doing that is to control your environment is to put the phone in another room before you go to bed and I know this is hard to do but the rewards are absolutely huge if you did this for a week I get on social media literally 100 times a day. I'll get tagged on people saying just this one thing. I stopped using my phone the first hour a day. And they're like, Jim, I have my alarm clock. Spend $7 on Amazon and get an analog clock, alarm clock.
0: And you can put batteries in it so you don't even have the concern if the power goes out that it won't go off.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I would say that – and that's the other thing. For people who have sleep issues, a lot of times it's coming from that phone because – You know, that anxiety of having that phone there unconsciously, it's taking up energy. But even if you can't see it, it's still like, and you know, it's in the room, it's like closing those windows or tabs on your computer, like minimizing it, but they still take up room, right? And they're still taking up energy. And so I would say the best thing is just keep it out of the environment. Because at night when you're looking at your phone, that screen light, it creates, it's a blue light, what they call it blue light, it inhibits the production of melatonin. So it fools your brain into thinking it's still daytime when it's looking at your laptop or your screen or your, your digital, you know, your, your pad or whatever, and it thinks it's daytime so it's not secreting the melatonin, that helps you relax and help you sleep. And that's why, you know, if you're UK, you have to use your devices at night, then use like an app like Iris or Flux that takes away the blue light or set your phone on, you know, like the, the, night, the night mode or anything like that or wear the blue blocking sunglasses or, you know, at night because it helps you to be able to sleep and, and deregulate. So digital distraction. So digital deluge, which is overload, digital distraction. And finally, the last two really fast that's keeping you from your creativity the super villains. Number three is digital dementia digital dementia where you're so dependent on your smart devices it keeps your schedules your to-dos it it keeps your lists it keeps it, your it does simple math for you it remembers all your phone numbers or if you if it's doing all the work for you your brain's not getting the workout and it's the equivalent of modern day elevators or Uber, like someone, one of my friends the other day, they had to go five blocks to the bank and they called a <laughs> lift. Like, why would you, like, it was a nice day out here, you know? And so why would you, and, but there's a tax to your, your body. Like if you're not, if you're not taking this as you know, I, I I do all kinds of courses on, and trainings on, on our show, on our podcast on how to optimize your brain health. And part of it is moving and exercising and not just going to yoga and Pilates and going to the gym three times a week. It's like moving, you know, like most of us, like sit in front of like a lot of people, like on computers for eight hours a day, and so you need to be able to move. And so just like how technology with cars and elevators we don't move, same thing with our brains. It's it's doing, and they even GPS. You know, Dr. Daniel Amen, who's a top brain doctor in in the country, does all these brain scans. He's run forty. You know, books, amazing. He says, GPS, they're not getting early detection of Alzheimer's uh, and dementia because if you're relying on a a piece of technology to tell you when and where to turn in your neighborhood, you're not realizing when you would have a memory lapse. So you're not going to doctors to get checked out. So I I think digital dementia, it's important to be able to exercise your brain because there's no such thing as a good or bad memory. There's just a trained memory and an untrained memory. And then finally, the the fourth supervillain is digital depression. You know, when we're talking about mental health, that we live in an an age of comparison, especially with social media, where we're, you know, we know it. We're comparing our life to the highlight reel of other people's lives. And it's not like that. That doesn't represent what people's lives really are. And it's highly curated. It's highly filtered. And if it's, you know, it's the grass is always greener. The grass is only greener where you water it, first of all. So Mm -hmm. I would spend time watering your own grass. But also, on Instagram and everything, sometimes it's greener because there's artificial turf. (laughs) Some people are just using, like, you know, they have fertilizer. You know, it's different. Facetune galore. Exactly. Right. And so I would say that, going back to other people's opinion, a lot of people struggle with... um, FOMO and Facebook depression or digital depression because they're comparing their life to everybody else and fear of missing out. It's it's a real thing. You know, after a while, when I had my near death experience, for me, it really prioritized my life.
0: What happened? if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, it was a, it
1: was a car uh, car accident. Aww. And so I'm glad to be alive, but it also made me think about what's most important and to live my life as if it was my last day. And you know, I don't want to spend three hours on, on social media because it's not, they're not, and I love it because it, you know I put my videos on there and education, get inspired, get great it's instruction. It's great when it's
0: being used for connection, where yeah. it's destructive, like you said, is when it's being used for comparison or self-loathing.
1: Right, and I think self-love is so important, self-love, self-care is not selfish, that we need to reconnect and really fall in love with that person in the mirror who, who's been through so much, but is still standing, you know, and I feel like, you know, when we're talking about self-love, it's just that no love from another person is going to give you what your spirit needs from that you can give yourself, and I think that that's a good starting point. And self care is is really at the heart of that. Getting good sleep, getting you know having you know eating eating the right foods, managing your stress, being around positive people, all of the all of being in a clean environment, it, all of that make makes a difference. But when it comes to technology, I agree with you. Technology is not good or bad. Like fire, fire could cook your food or it could burn down your home. right? It's just how it's used. And technology is not good or bad. It's just how we're utilizing it. But technology is a tool that we could use. But if technology is using you, then who becomes the tool?
0: Us.
1: But, right. I know. And that, that's the thing. When we're picking up our phones out of just boredom or out of habit, that, that's where I feel like that we're losing our sovereignty. We're losing our power.
0: Right. And something else I love that you talk about is how you write down your dreams every morning. Mm. And that's really powerful. It's something I don't do, but I want to start doing. But a great creative hack is like that state between when you're awake and you're asleep. That's when I learned I was a songwriter because I started writing songs in that state when I was 23 and I'd never written a song before. And I was like, oh, okay, God. I get it. And then it started flowing out oh, of me. Oh, my goodness. But we have to pay attention to those moments. And if you're losing those moments because you're going straight to your phone, you might be losing out on a whole life that you could live.
1: Yeah, I could tell you right now. That I, this is something I'm really passionate about is dream work. And it's not about dream interpretation. For me, I teach people how to have lucid dreams and, and be aware when they're dreaming and do these adventures. But we'll spend about – so sleep is like the ultimate life hack. It's really important to be – in remember if you be creative – You're not very creative, and solving good problems have good focus if you didn't get a good night's sleep, right? So we'll probably spend about 20 years of our life sleeping, and that means we'll spend about three to five years of our life in total dreaming. And there's a myth out there that when you sleep, your brain shuts off, but if anything, it's more active, and so when you're if you're a student and you're learning all day, your brain doesn't shut off at night. You're consolidating short to long-term memory. If you're an entrepreneur, an artist, you're coming up with new ideas and invention. When you dream, famous people don't realize this. So much of art and literature and music came from dream states. So Paul McCartney came up with a song yesterday in his dream. Mary Shelley, the art the author, came up with Frankenstein in her dream. A scientist, a chemist, came up with the framework for the periodic table in in his dream. Elias Howe, who's an inventor, came up with the sewing machine in his dream, right? And so what are you dreaming about at night that's gold? And the challenge is a lot of times, as you mentioned, the people wake up and they forget their dreams, and so there's a, a popular podcast I did on six steps on how to remember your dreams. And one of the steps is just writing them down right away because they, they are fleeting. Another one is keeping your eyes shut because it actually helps you because once you get the, the, the light, it actually disturbs that process and, and everything. But remembering your dreams, I, I have a, a, my morning routine, as I mentioned, the first thing I do in the morning, the very first thing is I remember my dreams before anything else.
0: So, could I ask you a question? I had this thing happen to me once when I was a kid where I don't even remember what the dream was, but it was really interesting. And I woke up from it. And I didn't get to finish the story. So I was like, this is bullshit. I'm going back to sleep. And I kept dreaming the dream.
1: Is that amazing? So, is that lucid yeah.
0: dreaming or it, no?
1: It, it's a form of it. So, okay. lucid dreaming, I think uh, some people have had the experience where they're dreaming and they're aware that they're dreaming. Right. It's kinda of interesting. Like you know you're in a dream and when you this is a trainable skill. What what I what I train is I believe that genius is learned, that genius leaves clues. That if somebody is exceptional in something, it's there's a method to their magic. Like when I do these demonstrations and everything, I always tell people, hey, you know, I pull back the curtain. This is how I do it. Because everything that people could do, you could do if you're willing to find out and putting the deep work to be able to do it. And you're just like any artist or any, any anybody in any kind of field.
0: Right. You're democratizing and, intelligence.
1: And I really, that's really what I'm passionate about. Because as the boy with a broken brain, I want to build better, brighter brains so they could be more creative and expressive and learn better. And so, you know, my, my mission is no brain left behind. Behind mm-hmm. literally that that's the thing, because I feel like that's where you know every for all the world problems that we have there's solutions in, in in our minds. it's just we haven't been taught your brain doesn't come with with an owner's manual, but when it comes back to your dream, yes, there are techniques to be lucid, even something simple like asking yourself all throughout the day am I dreaming? Am I dreaming? Am I dreaming? Am I dreaming? Because the first time the answer is yes, then you're, you know what I mean? Because you start to, have you ever had a day and you start dreaming about things that happened earlier that day you know, you could set the intention. Have you ever the experience, like a daydream?
0: Lauren, are you saying
1: something like that? Yeah. Or have you ever set an intention like you know I have to get up at five a.m. to get on this to pack to go to the, the airport, right? Yeah. And you set your alarm, but you wake up like two minutes or something that close happens to that to me every
0: single time. Yeah. So
1: that same intention you could do about oh, I want to continue this dream. If people truly understood how powerful their mind was, they they would be very more conscious about the things they say to themselves, or ask of themselves, or feel for themselves. Okay. Being
0: Oh, sorry. I want you to yeah, keep yeah, going. Yeah, but yeah, I had yeah. such a thought. Yeah, but, yeah, let's so, do and, it. tell me, so the things that they ask of themselves. Well, it's just that
1: your brain is like this incredible supercomputer, and your self-talk is the program it will run. So if you say to yourself. I'm not good at remembering names. You will not remember the name of the next person you meet because you program your supercomputer not to. That you you are incredibly powerful, and that's not to say you have one negative thought and your life is ruined any more than eating that jelly donut is going to ruin your life. But if you do it consistently, then it adds up, right? And so I would be I would audit that self talk because a lot of that self talk, when you're born, you're born with a, a blank slate. I didn't I wasn't born with. Oh, I'm not good enough. I wasn't born with, oh, I'm not smart enough, or I have a broken brain. That was imprinted on me. And so I think when I'm talking about self-awareness, part of self-awareness is is listening to that inner voice. And there's that squelcher, critic voice that's in there. And then there's your true voice, you know, the one that's kind of squelched because of what we've learned on the outside or what we think is possible. And so I would say that when it comes to your You know your intention, your affirmation about I want to remember this dream, or I want to pick up where I left off in this dream, or even before I have a whole you know morning routine, I also have a nighttime routine, and one of the last things I do before I go to sleep is ask myself like a question, like what do I want my mind to work on while I'm sleeping, and so I get the restorative sleep, but then I also get come up with all these great ideas when I wake up first thing. Just like I would say like oh I need to wake up at five, I wake up at five a.m. or continue the dream like like you just did. So, so be conscious of that self-talk.
0: So you said something that really sparked me because a lot of the people listening to this have their dream, but there's a space between having it and living it. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot about it, but we haven't specifically spoken to that one idea. How can they fill that gap and go for it?
1: Between having a dream and actually implementing. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I like this and conversation. And maybe even
0: knowing what they're supposed to do, but the fear, you know, because that's a thing. I think fear stands between us and yeah. our ultimate destiny so much of the time.
1: I, I, I agree completely. Well, there are two parts to it, right? So people have to know what their dream is or their passion is. Um, for me, I think a lot of people do not find their passion. I think it's like a relationship. People are always trying to find true love, but I don't think you find true love as more as much as you you work on it and same thing with our passions i think you need enough stimulus In relationships, you could date and you get enough stimulus, and then but then you find something you're drawn to, and then you you work at it because what relationship is easy, right? You know, it's not like you go on one date or you get married and it's like perfect forever, right? You have to work on it every day, just like you have to work on your. You don't go to the gym one time and all of a sudden you're just like fit for the rest of your life. But I feel like with people's passion, they're not giving themselves enough stimulus. So even when I work with kids, you know, we give them enough novelty because no matter your age, I think it's more of a mind, the age of your mind and the age of your heart. And as you were talking about kids and how playful they are, a lot of times people stop. They'll say to me, Jim, I stopped playing because I grew older. You know, I'm I'm responsible now and I'm, you know, mature. (laughs) now." I was like, no, you grew older because you stopped playing. And being playful, having that, you know, when you're playful, you don't mind making mistakes and all that. And I think that's the state. When we're talking about all learning is state dependent, including creativity, there's this creative, playful state. That you could go into and it just flows flows out of you. So I say discover your passion first. And, and passion for me easily defined is things that light you up. And purpose, because sometimes the words are used interchangeably, I would say purpose is what lights other people up. It's like, how do you use your passion? So for example, my passion is learning. You know, I, I went from hating learning, despising learning to just love learning. And I have this curiosity because I think curiosity is a superpower. I want to know how things work now. All
0: successful people are curious. I think
1: so, right? Yeah. Like, because they want to know and they're asking questions and they're never bored because even if I'm sitting in an audience, and I said, you know, because I'm waiting to go on stage. I have to sit in audiences, and I see people falling asleep watching other speakers, and they would complain about it being boring. And I'm like, you have to control your state. Going back to responsibility—that with great responsibility comes great power. Take responsibility for how you feel, because nobody can make you feel any way than other than yourself, right? And it's tough because sometimes, as you know, we're taught at early age that to be a thermometer it's like you can't wait to go out to play sports or whatever and your parents are like oh it's raining and we should feel bad cuz it's raining and you're taught like oh we should be, our feelings should be dependent on the weather or something outside of us and i think we have to be very mindful of of that cuz ultimately i feel like you know, everyone goes through different things. And sure, we're human. We're affected by the economy, how people treat us and everything. But to the degree we could step up and be a cause, I think that's really important. But going back to passion and purpose, passion for me is what lights me up. Like, I love learning. And my purpose, though, is teaching people how to learn, mm. right? And so I feel like that give yourself enough stimulus to find out what you're drawn to. Because most people, they, they're they so routine. Like, they, they say the average person has about 60, 70,000 thoughts a day and but the problem is 95% of those thoughts are the same thoughts they had yesterday and you can't be very creative if you're just thinking the same thoughts every single day and so part of that is breaking the pattern that's why i think you know i opened up with you know my origin story is like perspective change your environment change the people you're spending time with because they have a huge effect on, on how you think. They say if you spend time with nine broke people, be careful because you're going to be number 10, and that's what happens is we start adopting and adapting with these things called mirror neurons, which are always imitating people around us, and it what's allows us to feel empathy. When we're watching our favorite show or sports, you can feel what they're going through. It allows us to step in their shoes, and we start adapting, adopting their same beliefs, the people we spend time with, their same habits, their same routines, and everything, and that's what limits us, and you have to be careful to spend your time, who you spend time with. And often it's the people that love us the most. It's our family. It's our friends that actually are hurting us the most because we give them the power to do so because they, they don't, they, they're saying, why are you listen to another podcast? You know, why, why, why are you exploring this? Why don't you just get a job or why don't you, you know, like, you know what I mean? They can be sincere, but they can be sincerely wrong. Right? Because nobody could define who you are other than you, and yes, get feedback and get you know get mentors and everything, but ultimately, we decide. And so I would say is put things in perspective with passions, um, find what you want. And what if you're not going for it, you you need to know that your time is limited on this planet you just need to own that and if it's you spending time with seniors like i did or spending time walking around in, in a graveyard you need to understand you don't need to have a life death experience i know some of the people listening have had that kind of experience but you should they say intelligence is you know learning from your you know yourself and learning from your mistakes but wisdom true wisdom is learning from everybody else and i'm just saying the big thing that people always say at the end of their life is they they should have done this you know and discipline Weighs ounces. Regret weighs t- tons. And I would say that if you're if you're putting off your dream or your, your jump, it's like you have one life. Like why aren't we running towards it like we're on fire? Like like our dreams, the things that mean the most. So I would define what success is for you. You know, what your dreams, what your goals are, and not just SMART goals. Like everyone always talks about SMART goals, right? They're specific, you know, they're measurable, they're attainable, they're realistic, they're time-bound. But that's a very logical way. You could do that with your goals. But I would say come up with some HEART goals. HEART is an acronym that, you know, have SMART. But also hard. H is you want them to be healthy, meaning they, they, they fit in the ecology of your life. The E in, in hard is you want them enduring because when you're going for that goal, there are going to be so many times when you want to quit, right? Because success is not a straight line. And here's the thing remember this that if failure is not an option, neither is success. If failure is not an option, then success definitely is not an option because yeah. you have to get out of your comfort zone. Because my, my message to everybody, is while the beauty is in the butterfly the growth happens in the cocoon right you got to you got to do you got to do that work and, uh, and and it's
0: ugly to bust out of the cocoon it is it it's is it's aggressive and it's painful and it can be violent and you have to punch your way out
1: yeah but that's where you develop the strength and
0: that's what you're talking about and that's what you did out of your situation too you took something that was incredibly painful and binding you were bound in those stories mm-hmm. and you your way out of them you busted your way out and now you helped other people do the same
1: and everybody and we
0: can't avoid that pain
1: and that's the thing because that's what sculpts i mean it's cliche but it's true right that's that's how that that rock becomes a diamond you know through Mm -hmm. that adversity and that's how you sharpen your sword and i think that's what life provides you is it's not reaching that goal set that goal and that dream but it's not you know how many of us ever reached a goal and it feels good but how long does that last Right? You did really well, and the podcast got on the top ten or whatever you know but we all have these external goals, but they are fleeting it's not that it's it's who we have to become to be able to achieve that goal like that's the fulfilling part is the growth that that happens and so you know when we come, when we're talking about the butterfly. You know, we're talking about the butterfly effect and also coming out of cocoons. That's how the butterfly builds its wings so it could fly. So it has to go through that process. And it's never, it never ends. And that's mm-hmm. the thing. I don't think we ever want it to end. We don't want an easy life. I don't, I don't. I think that would be pretty boring. I know some of us who are struggling right now, if you're listening to this, you know, like, I would say break it down, simplify it, put first things first. Remember this. The most important thing is to keep the most important thing the most important thing. <laughs> so, so many people are are getting really good at things that don't matter. You don't want to climb the ladder of success and then realize you get to the top. It's leaning on the wrong wall, right? So, it's not just being busy. It's working intelligently. So, you work hard, but you also work work smart. But reaching your goal, you want to define what it is. And part of it is getting enough experience and novelty to see where your passions lie. And then put together a plan and break the plan down. That plan can be so overwhelming. What I would say is thinking is good, but overthinking is not good. And here's the thing. So many people are overthinking it and analysis paralysis and they're fearful of making mistakes. It's never going to be perfect. Just go for progress. It's the consistency compounds. Like break it down to the smallest piece. Like I, I do habit change with people and I think it's important for everybody to I don't know, read every day because reading is to your mind what exercise is to your body. But reading 30 minutes a day is daunting. It's like if you haven't done it and you're not used to doing it, they they always put it off. I'll get to it eventually and and that never comes. I tell people just, hey, take a book. Do you always want to read? Read one sentence where you break it down to tiny habits. It's like we know that good oral hygiene helps you live longer. Like flossing helps you live longer, adds years to your life. But a lot of people don't floss still. And so it's not – Common sense is not common practice. How do you get yourself to floss? I would tell people, "Hey, don't worry about flossing all your teeth. Just floss one tooth for me right now, because you're not going to stop after one tooth, right? right. It's like if it feels you
0: incomplete. exactly,
1: <laughs> and and that's the is actually a memory principle. They call it the Zygarnik effect. The Zygarnik effect was this psychologist, her name her last name was Zygarnik, and she was in a European cafe and she noticed that all the wait staff would remember everyone's order. Have you ever had a like a waiter or waitress like this? Yeah. And it's amazing, right? And but as soon as the order was delivered, they would forget what that order was. And the idea here, the Zygarnik effect says that the mind doesn't like open loops. And and you know this being being you know in in media entertainment that's how all those cliffhangers are is get you to binge watch. You can't stop because you have to watch the next episode because how it opened this loop and you have to shut, shut it so it makes you watch it. Oh, just one more, one more episode, one more episode, right? And so your mind, if you start something somewhere towards your dreams, the zygarnic effect is going to help you to get to completion because you're not going to want to keep that open loop, right? And that's how how you overcome procrastination.
0: Beautiful. So I could talk to you for 92 years. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do it. (laughs) But I know we have to wrap things up pretty soon. So I want to ask you the two questions I ask everyone who comes on the show. Okay. I want to get back to our little Jim.
1: Okay.
0: And I think creativity is intricately connected to the inner child and taking Mm. care of that little self because, you know, we're every age we've ever been. And so if you and little Jim were standing in the same room, and you were looking at each other. Mm-hmm. What do you think he would say to you, and why?
1: What he would say to me? Seeing what?
0: everything you've done, you you really are, I mean, an international sensation. You've trained all these remarkable people. You've helped countless people live better lives. What do you think he would say to you, knowing what he's what state he's in, seeing what you've done to take care of him?
1: I hope he would be proud of, of who he, he's become, that he lived his principles, that there was hope, you know, that going through the hard times um, that he's going through right now, that there was a reason, and um, that there was a gift in it. Maybe he may not feel like it to him right now, because of how he's bullied and how he would, you know, be embarrassed to have his report card signed by his family and how everyone else was included and he was excluded. That um, it gets better, um, and that you know, not to give up. I think. Um, I, I hope he's 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 proud of the of the man he becomes.
0: And what would you say to him?
1: Wow. I would say to him that he's not broken. I would say to him that he's enough. That that the nights that he spent crying and you know in that place where he was uncertain, um, that it's not it's not how how smart you are. It's how are you smart? And that boy was really smart in a lot of ways that you know, maybe wasn't recognized in in school and you know and he's not alone that there are a lot of people who also feel the same way and um and again and it gets all up better my final words for everybody here is i challenge you i challenge everybody who's listening to this i don't believe knowledge actually is power it's potential power at best it only becomes power when we utilize it and we apply it because all the podcasts and books and you know trainings you go through you know classes none of it works unless you work And so I challenge everybody to take one little action right now, is to do this. Take a screenshot of this episode and tag Lauren, tag myself, and so we see it. And share your big aha. If you want to learn faster, one of the best ways of learning is by teaching somebody else. Because if you learn with the intention of teaching, like if you had to give a TED Talk about this two days from now, you would pay attention differently. You would take notes differently. You would ask questions on social media differently. You would you would make it your own, right? And I feel like that's the reason why you want to do it. You learn to earn so you could return. And that's really the process. So give back. And so take a screenshot, tag us both in it. And then post your big aha. What was like your big takeaway from this conversation? Maybe you want to re-listen to it because there is a forgetting curve. Sometimes within 48 hours, we could learn. You lose a lot of what we remember. But post your big aha or one thing you're going to do differently because of it. And from, for me, you know, people, I'm, I'm notorious about this. I always kind of repost my favorites because I love like, oh, that was a really good, Gem and I like to to reshare them also as well. And I
0: repost everything. Oh, do you really, you're really people
1: too. Here's I the...
0: love doing it. I mean, the fact that someone took their time to share the show it means yeah. so much. And they're also sharing creativity, which I really believe is the healing solve for the whole world.
1: I, I I really do too. I believe our life is like an egg. That if an egg is broken by an outside force, life ends. But if it's broken by an inside force, life begins. It hatches, right? Oh, beautiful. And we that means greatness greatness comes from the inside all great things begin on the inside and if you're listening to this and you're still listening to this i would say i honor your greatness yet you have greatness you have genius inside of you and uh let's let it out in the the most creative way possible
0: you know what i say at the end of every show what's that i believe in you
1: oh i love that yeah
0: maybe we should say it together yes so for you listening
1: i I believe believe in in you. you
0: beautiful. Jim, thank you so much. Lauren, thank you. You're wonderful. Thank you
1: for the cape that you wear.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for listening and to my guest, Jim Quick. For more info on Jim, follow him at Jim Quick, and Quick is spelled K-W-I-K. Check out his website, jimquick.com, and listen to his hit podcast, Quick Brain with Jim Quick. It is consistently on the charts, and he releases great 10 to 20-minute episodes weekly with awesome takeaway. I highly recommend it. Thanks Liz Full for composing the show's theme music. You can follow her at Liz Full and thank you. If you love this episode, do what Jim mentioned earlier and take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram story and tag Jim, Unleash Your Inner Creative and me. I will repost it to share my appreciation. Also share the show with a friend, subscribe, rate and review the show on Apple podcasts, follow it on Spotify and uh, just enjoy the show. I hope you did today. My wish for you this week is that you stop fighting for your limitations and start believing in your inner power. Jim's story just reiterated the fact that there's no dream too big for those that believe. So go out and get yours. I believe in you. Talk next week.